In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 And good morning. Please be seated. Our, our message this morning comes from our gospel reading uh, and simply titled, The Emmaus Moment. We start into our message today. See if I can take, take you back 20 years. Now, I want to apologize in advance if some of these words are triggering because it's not my intent to trigger or showboat. But I want you to imagine for a moment that it is that Tuesday morning, September 11th, 2001. And we have just witnessed the most horrific attack on our republic in a lifetime. Earlier today, we saw towers at attacked, tumble into clouds of debris. Uh, our own backyard here in Northern Virginia, we saw a plane fly head into the Pentagon and, for, and uh, another one cratering in, into the rural, rural Pennsylvania. Our lives as we found them that day were forever altered. Now, in the afternoon as we traveled to our homes, perhaps in our own cars or in a carpool or van pool, uh, we, we come out of our silence and we begin to talk to one another in low, dulcet tones about what we had seen and witnessed. Now, I'm going to quickly concede that this is not how your typical Eastertide homily typically begins. But yet, in meditation and prayer in preparation for today's message, uh, this thought just about jumped out right in front of me. And like all of those that day in 9-11 who were of understanding, uh, Cleophas and his companion were no doubt overwhelmed by the similarly uh, traumatic events that they had watched unfold in rapid succession over the past 80 or so hours. Consider during the Seder, they learned about the dark conspiracy that was unfolding. They witnessed the betrayal of their master with a cold kiss. The pair witnessed the brutality of Christ's death as he hung suspended between heaven and earth. And now this morning, a few hours earlier, a group of the women of their band uh, came, burst into their presence with ecstatic words of visions of angels in empty tombs going as far as to saying that the master was alive. So now, it's early in the afternoon on a spring Sunday in Judea. The pair has decided to set off back to the village of Emmaus. They'd want to be off the road before sundown and away the dangers of, the, of darkness that come with the darkness. So we can conclude, reasonably conclude, they had left sometime around 1, 1.30. Uh, to make the seven-mile uh, trip. Uh, they weren't running a race, but they weren't dawdling either. So walking at a good clip, you could expect three or four hours on the road. Who are these travelers? The Bible expositor R. Kent Hughes suggests that the traveler mentioned by name in this passage, Cleophas, could also be the Clophus mentioned in St. John's Gospel, who was the husband of Mary, who was mentioned in John 19.25. If this were the case, and I, I'm not here to make a case that it was, but just saying per, if this were the case, uh, these travelers would have actually been the maternal aunt and uncle of Jesus. And if that was, the, if that was so, this would have inserted an extra level of pathos into the events as they were, witness, as they were discussing 
their earthly nephew and everything that happened to him. As the couple continue on their trip, they see, we see Jesus entering into the scene in a way that Father Adam Rick, who is the Anglican chaplain at Hillsdale College, described as almost a, a playfully coy kind, kind of interest. And, but this moment presents a, a few questions going forward. How did the followers of Jesus fail to recognize their master who had just placed himself into the moment? And how, given St. John's words of how we'll be known in the resurrection, did they not recognize him? Uh, Luke's words speak to, this, speak to this fact in verse 16, where he's describing a, phen a phenomenon using the word kratio, uh, which describes the fact that their vision was divinely subverted. Uh, it was as if a filter was placed on the lens by the Holy, and the Holy Spirit had control of their perception of reality. Now, in, as we read through in verses 17 and 24, Jesus in, interposes himself into the uh, discussion. Now, we can only conjecture what it may have looked like. Jesus in his resurrection, resurrected body was free of the strengths of mortal flesh and inserted himself into a position where he could begin a discussion with the two travelers. His question was met with a mix of, of sadness and incredulity. Clophus's answer to, to Jesus is on a, a number of several levels. Uh, one, you would see there would be an inference that what happened to Jesus over the 72 plus hours were widely known by those pilgrims who had come to Jesus, uh, come to Jerusalem rather, for the Passover. And unlike a, unlike a so secret arrest where the victim is taken, secreted away, and executed behind closed doors, uh, Jesus is the events that happened were seen by all. So, in spite of Cleophas's initial response, Jesus pressed the issue. It well could have been that Jesus was wanting to hear him verbalize his grief. Uh, not for Jesus' sake, it's Jesus already knew the burden that Cleophas was carrying. He also know, knew, as we know today, that. Bottled up, unexpressed grief has a caustic effect on both the body and soul. So in responding to Jesus' continued questions, Cleophas spills his guts. And we see his, his, him saying this in 19, verses 19 through 24. As he says, as Jesus said, what things? And he said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty indeed before God and all the people. And how priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. We had all hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and beside all this, it's now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some of the women in our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those were with him, went to the tomb, and found it just as the women had said. They didn't see. Now, the Lord who knows all things already knew the heart of Cleophas. He knew the words flowing from that heart were those of heart-crushing 
soul-destroying grief. And like Peter in the, the remaining 11, many, you know, like two rather, like Peter and, and the remaining 11 apostles, uh, many left everything behind to follow Jesus and did so at a cost that had financial, social, and familial costs. Imagine yourself at, 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 the, at the moment where you climb out of the storm cellar and you see that the F5 tornado went ripping through Prince William County has left nothing but a foundation of where, where your home once stood. What Cleophas and his companion were experiencing that day was on that attitude. The, the hopes and dreams and aspirations and belief and faith of the past three years were, were devastated. They were gone. But unknown to Cleophas at this moment, he was now speaking to the great high priest of Hebrews 4, where the writer reminds us that, therefore, since we have such a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, but without sin. So therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and grace to help in our time of need. And this, in the next following moments, that's what Jesus is, was exactly doing, bringing mercy and grace for this time of deep need. After hearing these, that sad lament, Jesus responds to Cleophas in words that sound much harsher in contemporary English than, than what they did when Jesus spoke it. Uh, ostensibly, and I'm going to loosely paraphrase uh, the, the, the words that are found in, in Thayer's lexicon, Jesus was essentially saying, look, you've completely must misunderstood what, was what had transpired. Have you forgotten all what the prophets said about the Christ? It was there that Jesus begins to proclaim what is ostensibly the first Easter sermon as he walked the pair through the Old Testament's teaching on how the Christ would, have, would be the suffering servant. Now, the text is somewhat silent as, as to what Jesus was teaching. Uh, it does say that he took him through Moses and the prophets. So we can imagine what Jesus shared that afternoon that was something like, Perhaps he started with the Proto-Evangelium of, of Genesis, where God the Father promised the Eve and, and the serpent that I would put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. He could have easily stepped into Deuteronomy. As Moses spoke of a coming prophet, where Moses told Israel, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers, and you shall listen. As the band pressed on to Emmaus, Jesus may have wended his way through the Psalms, Isaiah, Micah, Zechariah, or even the words of John as he preached along the, the banks of the Jordan proclaiming his, his message repentance. Now at this point, at the conclusion of this teaching, Cleophas' companion were now approaching the end of their journey to Emmaus. 
Jesus at this moment, however, feigned that he was going to travel on. Uh, given the approaching nightfall and the dangers a lone traveler might encounter on the road, Cleophas encourages Jesus to spend the night with him and the companion traveler. Jesus agrees and reclines with them at the table. And around the table that evening, Jesus took the bread, blessed it, and gave it to his companion. It was now time for the Holy Spirit to move the second time in, in a mere few hours. And in a, bl in, in a blink, that filter was removed from the lens, and the identity that had been supernaturally cloaked was revealed in an instant allowing the, the, the companions to see the resurrected Christ with them there in Emmaus. Then just as quick, Jesus left the, their presence. In the reverberation of the moment, both, both remarked how on the road, Jesus wasn't merely parroting or quoting scripture to them. He wasn't giving hollow part. He was opening the scripture, and it explained it the way that it stirred in their hearts, setting their hearts ablaze. I like us to consider here a t another a takeaway for today's uh, thoughts on the walk to, to Emmaus. Uh, I think we're able to interpose us ourselves into that story. Uh, replacing uh, Cleophas and his companion. Uh, we too are in a situation that's not, uh, not much unlike theirs. The COVID-19 pandemic has affected the axes of all of our lives. For some, it's a minor inconvenience, an occasion to grumble and not be thankful. For others, it is a life-altering event. I read this morning how one friend, uh, was, one friend was relaying a story from a friend of hers who lost her husband at the age of 51 from something that could have been just as easily taken care of. The man had orthopedic surgery. Uh, he developed infection. The infection grew into a fever and then ultimately sepsis, and, and it killed him. Uh, all of these things are going on. We, we, have, we are so blessed and so insulated here in Prince William and Stafford counties, but beyond our, beyond our horizon, uh, this, it's a grave situation out there. And one of the things that, that brings that, this, this, this out is the fact that you at home, between you at home and me here in the pulpit, is a sea of empty seats that would have been otherwise filled Ten weeks ago, uh, it, bears a star, it bears a stark reality to the moment we now live in. But I would offer not hollow comfort, but great comfort in the fact that the same high priest who availed himself at that moment of need for Cleophas and his companion sits ready in our time as well. Now, we may personally never experience an Emmaus Road uh, moment in our lifetime. But I would challenge you that in, your, in our intentional and focused reading of God's word 
and pressing deep into prayer as we seek the face of God. He will make his presence known. And as he makes his presence manifest in our hearts, it will cause our hearts to burn too, afresh and with fire from the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the example of Emmaus. Uh, we thank you for how you've, you've shown us uh, that you were there in the midst of all our circumstances. So we do press into you today. Uh, Set our hearts ablaze with the promise and the knowledge that you are there closer than a brother right now. We pray this through your son, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost.